Last week, my parents' TV service somehow timed out, and I happened to be at their house when they were trying to figure out how to get it back on. And uh, to get the service back on the TV, they had to log into their account, but as many of us do, they could remember their online password, which I am guilty of that as well. Don't save them all, write them all down. So once we saw the problem and the service was back on, my mother and I had the discussion about this very thing, and she said, I'm going to make sure to give you and your sister all the passwords to everything at some point so that one day you'll be able to access all of our important information, important information that will likely benefit your families. In other words, this is what you will need to access what we value and what you may too value. But if the passwords are not passed on, hear this this morning. If the passwords are not passed on, what is valued is actually devalued by the one that is passing and receiving. Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 through 8. We're actually going to be in the book of Judges. So you can turn to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2. But I want you to listen to Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 through 8. As we get ready for a week of vacation Bible school. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. And then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Lord Jesus, we pray that your word would be magnified today in our life, in our heart, that it would take root. And we pray, O oh God, to be the church that you have in mind. Lord, that we would be found faithful when it comes to passing on your truth and your instructions and what you value to the next generation lord that we would be found faithful to testify that this truly would be our story our song the the song of salvation the story of redemption that we would pass that forward god as you have challenged us as a church to do so lord i ask god today that your spirit would preside over this and Lord, that your truth would reign supreme in our life. And God, every excuse we can come up with not to be a part of this, I pray that you'd strip it down. In Jesus' name, amen. If you turn to the book of Judges, the book of Judges chapter 2, the first two chapters of Judges are introductory. In, in some manner of speaking, it's a little bit confusing as you begin to start reading the book of Judges, so you kind of have to dig deep and dive in. But the first two chapters are are introductory, they are summing up what has been and what is about to be as they enter into the era of Judges that God provides for his people. But at this point in Judges chapter 2, God's people had arrived in Canaan. Canaan is the promised land. They have made it. This is a fulfillment of God's covenant promise to his people Israel. 
a covenant promise that would be fulfilled to be a blessing to the world. Ultimately, through Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, to be a blessing, a purposeful provision to all people of salvation that would believe. And while it is a long-awaited promise, it begins this cycle, this cycle that we know well. It's a cycle of up and down. It's a cycle of obedience. It's a cycle of idolatry and all of those things mixed in between as it leads to this greater need of rescue from the greatest enemy that they had and the greatest enemy that we have, which is ourselves. Nevertheless, the people of God took possession. The promised land now is becoming into full focus, and God gave rest to his people from their enemies. And at this time, there was a good godly leader named Joshua, and Joshua was the leader of Israel, and he was a good one. In Joshua chapter 23 and 24, Joshua, being a leader of God's people, says, it's time for everybody to get together. And so he brings together before him all the elders, all the leaders, all the judges, all the officers of Israel. And he sets before them and stands before them and puts out the standard of God. Before those that he influenced, he leads and he says, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen if it doesn't happen. This would be a good one to write down or memorize in Joshua chapter 23, verse 8. When he is giving a grand speech and recalling God's faithfulness, he reminds them in Joshua chapter 23, verse 8, cling tightly to the Lord your God. And he told them in verse 15 of that same chapter, but as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you obey him. You see, God is is just. He is both kind and severe. He is full of truth. And when truth is violated, it is just that there would be consequences to come. But what you will see in Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, is when Joshua puts that before the people, the people actually get it. Read with me in verses 6 through 9. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land he had been, that had been allocated at Timonasharia. I'm not sure either, but that's what we're going to go with. Truth be told, I did not study how to pronounce that or Google it that this week. There was more important information there. In the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. So what you see in Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, is the ideal outcome. They did it. Judges chapter 2 kind of goes backwards again to go forward. This is, this is a review of the close of Joshua's life. Verse 6 begins this way. After Joshua sent the people away. Away from what? After in Joshua, when he got finished talking to them and laying down the word of God and the standard of God, the Bible says, after this, Joshua sent the people away. They went back to the promised land that God had given them. This refers to that grand speech. This is a summary of what happened. And here's what happened after that for about the next 50 years. The Bible says in verse 7, The Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. For a long time, they got it right. They served God. 
as a lifetime follower of God. It's like the beginning of our message today and the, the tone of this passage has the feel of, and they all live happily ever after. That really is how it feels when you read this passage. I'll just be honest with you, and I could be completely wrong, but as I studied this this week, there's not enough given to that, even by the great theologians, in my opinion. You read this, they kind of pass by it, they go to when Israel got it wrong, but here they got it right. They served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua that was remaining and those close to him after he died. But before this lifetime of service, this, this, this lifetime where they got it right was a day of repentance. There was a day of decision. And that was the day that Joshua put the word of God before them. Even as the chosen people of God, they had to choose the direction of their life on that day when God's man and God's word was before them. The truth of God, the grace of God, forces a decision to be made by sinful man. And Joshua lays it out in Joshua chapter 24, saying you can choose the gods of the people that the Lord has already taken down in front of you, or you can choose the God who has pursued you. You can choose the God who has blessed you, who has saved you, who has sustained you. And the people said to Joshua, what we feel in our heart, we will serve the Lord. We will serve God. We, have, we know that he has been after us and pursuing us even through our unfaithfulness. And we will serve God. We will obey God alone. To which Joshua told them, put your money where your mouth is. He says to them in Joshua 24, 23, All right then, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord the God of Israel. Don't just, don't just say it. Be about it. I, I think one verse today that could change somebody's life in here. Because it is the word of God. It is powerful enough to unto salvation. Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord. Do you know what's going on in my family? I don't. But destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord. You know what's going on within my heart and mind individually where I am in this stage of life and all that's going on? I don't, but destroy the idols among you and, and turn to the Lord. For our God is alive. He's living. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He defeated the grave. There's nothing else he can't do. Put down the false gods and turn to the living God. Think that, again, this, this one verse, if you'd write it down and, and look at it each day and, and think about what it means, that there must be a what? A turning. Destroy the idols among you and turn, the Bible says. What is that? It's repentance. Simple and serious. It's turning from yourself and turning to God just like the Bible says. That is within your responsibility. You cannot serve Two gods. You cannot serve multiple gods. You cannot serve yourself and serve God. you got to turn from yourself and turn to the living God. Put yourself to death, even the Bible says. That you die daily. Figuratively, please understand. Listen to this quote I read this week. Be as speedy in your repentance as you would have God to be in his mercy. That's good, Amen. According to the Bible, this people at this time when Joshua was living, and even past that, with the present leaders that outlived him, they put down the idols, and they turned to God, and they served him. Again, according to a lot of commentaries, 50 plus years, the people got it right. 
See, I, I don't think God puts this stuff in here for us to be like, well, that ain't never going to happen with us. How come it won't? Is the Spirit of God not alive and working? Is Jesus not alive and at the right hand of God the Father? Does the Bible not tell us that he's always working? Do we not have the revelation of God in our hands? How come it won't? How come we can't be faithful for the next 50 plus years? That's why it's in there. To, to show us and give us this, this hope of living in a way that's different than the way that we feel or the way everything that we want to pick up. This is a life with God at the top. And by the remembrances of his faithfulness, by the acknowledgement of what he's done before, by the spiritual leadership and the fellowship of the people, what happened? They took possession of the promises. They were living in the land that God always said would be there and he'd give it to them. What else happened? They lived within God's provision. They acknowledged his rescue from enemies and his preservation through troubled times and staying close to his word to remind them of his standard and his faithfulness. They served Almighty God for a lifetime. Their life was not their own. Can I tell you just something, just to be transparent, something I'm personally doing in my life that I just felt led of the Lord to do? Every day I've started getting on my knees before my king. And when I pray, I have the imagery in my mind that I am kneeling before my king. My life is not my own. I am praying like I'm talking to a king who is the king, who is my king. And I am laying my life down before him now again i'd love to tell you that i'm a perfect person every day but i have other people here that would vouch for me that i'm not but i will tell you for my frame of mind and for where i need to go that day and to serve god's kingdom and to be a leader in his church it helps me to physically put myself before god at an altar at some point and speak to him not like he's a genie in the sky waiting to hear from me and give me what i want to but to bow before my master and my king the tone of the scripture, when you read this passage, it, it indicates this is how you do it. This is how you do it. A, listen to this. A consistent and even quiet life with God at the top. We don't live in a movie made about us. Amen? We don't live where we are the main character. And, and, and if we were to live in a movie that is made about us, it would be a very sad ending if we are the, the goal or the apex of that life. I read a headline this week of a bodybuilder who died recently at a very young age, very sad, very tragic, and his loved one posted the following. She said, bodybuilding was your life. You are not forgotten. We will love you forever. Even those who are closest to this young man could not deny what he lived for. It was his life. Now listen, with your name on it and your name attached, draw a line a blank, a fill in the blank, and after that put, is your life. What is it? What would those closest to you say it is? That was his life. His work was his life. Their grandkids were their life. Themselves. All these things, not bad, but they're not God. God at the top kind of living. This is how you do it. A consistent and even quiet life when you are serving God. This is our goal. And this is what God's Spirit is empowering us to do. 
We are here by God. We are here for God. We are the supreme object of God's creation. God has made a way for us to reflect His name on this earth with the time that we are given and to live in the redemption of Jesus Christ and by the power of His Holy Spirit. This is the motion picture that we all live in where God Almighty is the main character. And Lord, help us as we seek to know you and serve you and get away from ourselves in Jesus' name. But I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Even verses 6 through 9 are not perfect verses. This was not 50 plus years of perfection from God's people. How do I know that? I know that because it says Joshua died. And the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, I don't say that to say he sinned and then he died, but the result of sin in creation is, is death. So we know that this is not perfection, but what we do have is an account of faithfulness, a historical account of a people that refused to go their own way and refused to go the way of a worthless idol. And even for a season, we must know that a lifetime of service to the Lord can be but there is a distinct change of direction from this passage to the next one. Look at Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 15. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. And they went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal in the images of Ashtoreth. And this made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around. And they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated just as he had warned. And the people were in great distress. There's the ideal outcome, and now what you see is the breakdown between. You see, in Joshua chapter 23, verse 16, Joshua told the nation, he told them, if you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods, his anger will burn against you, and you will quickly vanish from the good land he has given you. You see, sometime over time, this commandment was ignored. And sometime over time, this communication was not communicated. Because in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, After that generation that we just spoke of so highly, after they died... Another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. What happened? What happened between the good one and the one that's breaking down? Here's a few things to notice. First of all, there was no acknowledgement. Again, the scripture says that another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. Now, this acknowledgement would be to recognize the Lord in their hearts. They did not experience God. This next generation did not experience the things of God. They did not receive the Lord into their heart. Did they know about God? Probably. Did they follow God? No. It was not personal. It was not a personal experience, a personal acknowledgement. And maybe you would conclude, well, I guess so, because they didn't see all the thing that their granddaddy saw. 
They didn't see all the things that the forefathers saw. They did not experience the hand of God to wipe away their enemies in a miraculous thing like he did. They, they did not see God provide for them food from the sky in the wilderness. They did not see God drop the walls of an entire city and it be plundered at his hand. They didn't see all those things, so I guess they didn't experience all that those people did. Let me tell you something. You don't have to suffer through slavery to experience God. You don't have to walk through the wilderness to experience God. You don't have to even see the miracles of God to know him. So, Take that excuse away. If you are here today and you're thinking, I'm here to see God do something miraculous, even in this service, I want to see God show up and do something I've never seen before. Well, then remember what Jesus said to Thomas. You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Know this. There is nothing in your life that is more difficult to overcome than your sin, and God did that. Know this, there is no experience to experience greater than your redemption that Jesus paid for on the cross to secure your eternity in heaven with God. So instead of waiting to see a pillar on fire and waiting to see walls of opposition come down around you, instead of wanting to see God move, trust that God already has moved. He has fought the fight of sin and death to the point of the grave and then he defeated the grave in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to give us all in here hope of eternal life. To give us a right and unrestrained relationship with a real and holy God. God did all that. Has done it for us. It's still available to anybody in here that would want it. Turn from yourselves and turn to God. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved and you've got a pathway open channel to the right and real God. That's what God's done. We don't have to have all the other things. Yes, we can ask for it. But God's already done that to reveal himself and he's already sent his son to reveal himself. He's given us his word. How about instead of asking for all these miracles and being chased by enemies, we just serve the Lord like in verses 6 through 9 with the consistency of our life. But there was no acknowledgement. The Bible says in multiple places, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Did y'all hear that? Not experience. Not experience. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Well, what do we believe about? The object of our faith, Christians, is Jesus. The living God. But there was no acknowledgement in this generation and there was a breakdown in between what happened next there were no remembrances there were no remembrances do you have remembrances of the things of God do you have remembrances the stories not only your own but do you have remembrances of people before you I want you to think about that do you remember somebody at some point when you were little either even now when they talked about the things of God with you and they spoke of them personally right what did we just sing? This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Is that your story? Because if it is, stories are meant to be told. Stories are meant to be shared. 
and read and remembered and communicated. See, at some point there was a breakdown between one generation to another. We're all the saved, we're all saved the same way, but we all don't experience remembrances of God the same way. But let me tell you something. I can tell you personally because it made a difference in my life. I can remember hearing the stories in my church growing up and in my family growing up, in the sanctuary, at the altar, in the fellowship hall, and around the dinner table in our home. Not just of church and not just of denomination, not just of religious stuff, but of God's faithfulness. What God had done for my family, what God had done in and through our church, I remember people testifying about how they got everybody to pray. Not just pray a little, but pray a lot, and a, a child was healed. I remember people testifying about how God saved somebody they never thought would be saved and changed his life. I remember how my family would talk about how through seasons of grief that they would trust God and God showed up. These are the stories and remembrances that we have to sit down and share to the next generation. Why? So that they'll know it's real in our life. So that they'll know it's personal in our life. Good and the bad. And can I tell you something to be very honest with you? When I have messages like this that God puts on my heart, you know what my wife and I do? We come back again to the Word of God and we do practical things like, all right, kids, we've got to get around the table again. I mean, really, that's what we do. All right, we've let it go too long before we've had one of these conversations. Everybody sit down. We're going to intentionally talk about the Lord tonight. We don't usually tell them that. That's what Brittany and I say, and we surprise them by that, right? <laughs> but we talk about things that are real. Because it really is happening in our life. Like, we really do pray every day. We really are trusting in God to show up in a matter we have no control over. Because if he doesn't, we're sunk. And we did us come through, then we give God glory. We give him glory either way. See, these remembrances are, are not enough to lead someone to the, to the Lord. And, and let, me, let me say that as well. There's a responsibility of the generation to pass on the passwords. Amen? There's a responsibility of the generation to pass on the instruction. But hey, generation that's next, you got to do something with it. And hey, children, teenagers, college kids, whatever, the, if you fit into the category of next generation, stop showing up hoping somebody's got everything ready for you to go. Would you be willing to make something great? Would you be willing to show up and know that there are no perfect churches? And you'd be ready to get after it and make something great and invite somebody to come alongside you as you are learning about the real God who's made a difference in your life so that you can share your own experiences. Because I know for a fact, I know it, because this was a faithful generation that there probably were many that did share that. And once the truth has been put in front of you at your plate, you've got to eat it or pass it up. And that's on you then. There were no remembrances. And again, these are not enough to lead someone to the Lord, but they are enough for a child who's listening to know if it's real or not. Not talking about a religious culture, talking about a Jesus culture, where people fear and know God and trust Him through the good and the bad. The regular practice of acknowledging the Lord as a church, talking about what God has done for us, it goes a long way to the next generation. There was also no leadership. 
want you to notice that verses 6 through 9 connect God's people to God's leadership. Said there, talked about Joshua. Joshua sent the people away. He had just spoken to them. The Lord, throughout the lifetime of Joshua, the leaders who outlived them. And then when you get to verses 10 through 15, it mentions no leadership to speak of. It just talks about the people group. And this was likely a large part of the breakdown. I read this this week. A, a leader is one who has followers. Man, this, man, this is good. A leader is someone who has followers. An effective leader is not someone who is loved or admired. He is someone whose followers do the right thing. Gosh, that's good, man. Somebody write that down and send it back to me so I can read it again. What I'm saying to you when, when we say there are no leaders to speak of in verses 10 through 15, but the leaders were highlighted in 6 through 9, church, we have got to have more Joshua's. There's got to be more Joshua's. Teenagers, college students, young people. I, I would encourage you, as you are thinking about your career and the life before you, have you sought God for what God would have you to do, or do you keep asking the question of what do I want to be when I grow up? We've got to have more Joshua's for the things that matter. Credible leaders that you can count on, and not just in the church, but credible leaders in the community that God is not calling to a place of service at a church, but God is calling to a vocation outside the church to be a leader in the community. We've got to have these voices of God's word over our family, over the teams that we coach, over our churches, and over the classrooms that speak plainly the truth of God's word. And if you are in a setting where you cannot freely open the Bible and just read it from top to bottom over your team, then you better know it so that it just comes out of your mouth when you have a chance to talk. That the principles of God's word just spill out over your tongue to those who are listening. Because when there are no spiritual leaders to speak of, there is no spiritual direction to stand on. And that leads us to verse chapter, or chapter 2, verse 12. The last part of that verse says, they went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. Worshiping the gods of the culture. A generation later, a generation later began to serve not the one true God who did all of these things and put them in the promised land that they enjoyed, but a generation later began to serve Baal and Ashtoreth. Well, who are they exactly? Let's talk about Baal. Baal was the farm god of rain and storm who made sure that the rains came in season. Now notice, he's just a god over one section. He's the farm god. He's not even the main god of the surrounding people group. He's just one of them, and he was under another god who is said to live in a detached location on a faraway mountain. That sounds like an airtight plan, doesn't it? Okay, so if you can't do this, should I appeal to your boss or... Like this doesn't even, this is, this is truth as you look this up in history. This Baal was also rivaled by gods of the sea and gods of the grave. Listen, if there are multiple gods, ain't none of them God. You hear me? None of them are God if there's multiple ones. And then Ashtoreth, Ashtoreth was a prostitute goddess. And it gets weirder. Ashtoreth was the sister wife of Baal. The sister wife, you heard right. And their relations provided fertility to the earth. 
This is who God's people are now serving. Worshippers of Baal and Ashtoreth could engage in acts that reflected the character of their gods, and this would provide what was needed in the land. I mean, this is like a false god's version of the real world versus road rules meets housewives that are real, mixed with Stone Cold's Broken Skull Challenge. It's craziness. And, and there's a reason, you think about that. For all of us that watch all these things on TV, you got to be careful with those things because your nature is attracted to those things because you would like to be indulgent in those things without any consequence. And that's where God's people found themselves. Oh, well, if the gods say this is good, then we'll just do it. Practically speaking, let's just say this does work out. That Baal is the real God, Ashereth is the real goddess. How's that going to go? You give yourself and pray to a God who has to go through another God and then down to a lesser God in order to make rainfall. You think about now, if you, if you now think to yourself, I already deal with doubt and worry, imagine running that doubt and worry through multiple gods that haven't proved themselves over death yet. Or, let's just, how many of us know already that if, practically speaking, if we just give our bodies over to everything we crave and every pleasure we seek, that works out real good all the time, doesn't it? We know this. We know it destroys and separates. So let's just say these gods are real and say how it would go. Well, listen, we already know the practical outworking because it says in verse 15, the people of God, the people were in great distress. They were in great distress. Why? Because the gods that they were praying to and serving were not real. Were not real. And they were experiencing the judgment of God. Listen to this. When there is no acknowledgement of God, no remembrances of God, no spiritual, to sp uh, spiritual leadership to speak of, there is no peace. There is no peace. We taught the students on Wednesday night, had a unique opportunity on Wednesday night to stand before the students and share what with them? To share the unity of God. There is one Lord and one faith. There is one baptism. There is one spirit. There is one hope of heaven. There is one God the Father who is over all. Our God does not indulge our sin nature. He worked to free us from it. Our God doesn't have rivals. He doesn't have any other rival gods to deal with. He doesn't have to work with other gods to accomplish his purpose. The Bible says our God is in the heavens and he does what he wants. He is our God. They abandoned the Lord and were in great distress trying to keep up with the other gods. And who does what and when and can you come through? But even one of the names, listen to this, even one of the names of our God in the scripture is Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. One generation later, one generation later, the children of the faithful are now in need of God's intervention again. And what they get is his anger. And God told them that's what they would get up front in Joshua chapter 23. Y'all, there has got to be a sense of urgency from this church towards the next generation. Let me say it this way. There has got to be a continued urgency from this church to the next generation. Not only will we have hundreds of children 
in this place this week for Vacation Bible School, we will have over 100 volunteers. There has to be that number of volunteers to pull this off. And so there has to be, in, your, in our life, there either has to be a continued urgency towards the ministry of the next generation, or there needs to be a renewed one in your life. Come on, say amen to that. Why? Let me tell you why. Because our kids and our grandkids that we love so much, and maybe you're not even, I don't have children, don't have any grandchildren. Think about this. What about the children in our communities that we teach and that we coach and that we care for? Well, let me tell you something about those children. Their hearts are subject to a nature to sin just like ours are. Their hearts are going to be stubborn and selfish and rebellious and prone to wander and without a firm foundation of God's word. And without the truth and grace of God in their life and a generation before them that lives it out as it is real, they will contribute to a community with the foundation of the culture around them instead of the God above them. So, if we care about them, and we care about the will of God, we will do our best not to see a breakdown between generation, but a build-up, so that there will be another ideal outcome. God did great works in the Scriptures through spiritual leaders. Leaders that He raised up, Volunteer leaders, servant leaders, leaders with a title, leaders that didn't have a title. And can I tell you something in the New Testament? God has not, not stopped supplying leaders to the church. If God is opening your heart and your mind towards being a leader in this church or in ministry period to go on mission or whatever, you better turn that volume up instead of switching the channel. Is God calling you to a position of leadership? I know he's calling all of us to a position of service. Is God calling us to a position of leadership because God will do a lot in this world with credible men and women who are following hard after, the, after him and God is using his influence through them. Yesterday, Brittany and I had the opportunity to, to go whitewater rafting with our, some of our students. And so we went up to Tennessee, day trip, went down. Anybody, how many of you have ever been whitewater rafting? Just show of hands. Awesome. The rest of y'all need to go. It's fun. So we went with our, our uh, we went with a, a portion of our students whitewater rafting, and 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 in the boat I'm in the front, which may have been a bad decision, but I'm in the front, and then another volunteer is beside me. His wife is behind him, and my wife Brittany is behind me. And in the back of the boat are two leaders that work there. <laughs> Real cool dudes, man. You know. The ones of you that are laughing know what I'm talking about because you've been. Uh, one of them was more on the serious side. The other one was like, it's all going to be gravy, brother. Doesn't matter, really. You know? I'm like, okay. <laughs> Just get us to the other side, brother. Right? That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but the guy in the back, the guy in the back was, was doing a good job, but his voice did not project at the level that we needed. Now, could it be that, that uh, my friend Mike and I who are sitting in the front, could it be that, that we were also telling stories about movies we've seen that had to do with different things and we weren't listening all that well? It could have been. But he, oh, he wasn't shouting so loud that we could hear him, 
and we could do what he was telling us to do. Think about what we're on a river, rapids, rocks. They do a video beforehand, don't put your feet down kind of thing. And so he's yelling instructions. And about a third of the way through, we keep looking back and saying, we can't hear him, we can't hear him. So what happens next is, he yells out the instruction, and then Brittany yells it again. <laughs> Saying things like, he said stop, stop. Stop rowing, not all forward. Or there'd be times where Mike and I had quit, and we're just talking to each other like, man, this is awesome, isn't it? And they're like, all forward, he said go. But listen, he's saying it, if it's not passed down, we're going to run into a rock, into the edge, get flipped over. It has got to be passed down. This is the values, the instruction that will keep you safe and having a great time going down the river. But if it never gets to the next man, what does it matter? Our church has to ask for ourselves in this moment, which do we want to happen for the next generation? Do we want to be verses 6 through 9 where it's another generation that serves God through a lifetime, consistently and quietly? Or do we want one that abandons God and goes our own way? Can I tell you something before we start moving to shut this thing down? I really do feel like a lot of times we complain about what's going on in the world outside of us instead of actually doing something about it that God has given us as responsibility as bearers of his image and of his light. We can sit and talk about it and watch TV and the news and the screens all day long, talk about how all these things are going on and somebody needs to do something. Well, you can keep voting and you should, but you should know that the solution is the Lord God Almighty and his grace and his mercy and his church is to be his witnesses in this world. Yes, you should be good citizens of this great country, but we should be great citizens of a real kingdom of God that will exist forever and ever and ever. And if we're not willing to be a part of it, we really don't value it like we think we do. We just like to complain about it. So, what do we need to do when we think of response? Do we need to get moving? Do you need to join the church? Do you need to be a part of our fellowship here? Do you need to commit to serve? Do you need, listen to me, and I had to go through this as well, do you need to explore a call to leadership? Do you think that God is calling you? Has anybody confirmed that? Do you even know what to look for? Have you talked to the Lord about it? Have you kept brushing him off? Is God calling you to serve in a place of ministry? Then explore that call. But let's talk about it personally as we close. Do you need peace in your life? Before you even think about service and leadership, do you need to destroy the idols and turn your heart to the Lord? Do you need peace? Are you waiting on God to do something that he's really already done? Because the scripture says that a righteous person shall live by faith. So acknowledge God, remember God, and follow the lead of one who is following the Lord. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Think about those things as we turn towards the invitation. I want to let you know that our pastors, decision counselors are here today, right here following this, or as, as we get started into the invitation, or maybe you're thinking, I'd like to talk to you after service. 
But I'm going to say this, if there's an urgency on your heart to come and pray, if there's an urgency on your heart to come and pray for VBS, if there's an urgency on your heart to respond to a call to ministry, or you need to get saved, I'm going to tell you this, these folks in here who are saved would love to cheer you on as you call upon the name of the Lord today. And somebody said, Amen. Come on, right? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you, O oh God, for your word. Thank you for the hope of the first few verses that we can be a church in a generation that faithfully seeks after you. Lord, knowing that it's not perfection, the, the perfection has come through Jesus Christ, and that's the grand story, the grand narrative even in Judges. We need your way of provision, of, of salvation. But Lord, we also acknowledge today that there are verses that tell us of your judgment. And also that they remind us of our way, that our, our way to seek ourselves and to seek things we think would be easier. Lord God, if we are in distress today because we have been following ourselves or false gods, would you please point that out in God that we would repent. Lord, if there would be one or many today in here that has reached the end of themselves, or they've reached a point where they know they need more of you, and I pray, O oh Lord, today that they would respond in faith trusting, believing that you are the one true God and you have made a way for us to be right with you forever through Jesus. God, if there may be any questions in here today from an individual, that they would be answered before they're leaving. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Altar is open for you to pray. We have decision counselors here to talk to you.